You can be turning in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll be continuing our series in this book. This is our second time. Be going through verses 3 through 11 this morning. That song that we just sang, I love that song. I mean, that is, that is what our aim is whenever we gather together as the people of God and as we listen to the preaching of His Word. We are here to know Christ. We are here to seek His face. And in knowing Him, we want to know Him more. And so I pray that that is your desire as we look through Ecclesiastes and as we over and over again see Christ shining forth. And before we get started this morning, I just want to encourage you in the area of of words. Because you may have noticed last week, we spent a lot of time just on two words. The word vanity, the word preacher, you know, what they meant, you know, digging deep into those words and just feeling the impact that the preacher wants us to see. And I thought that some of you, after listening to that sermon, could have been thinking, you know, how can I see things like that when I'm just doing my regular reading of the Bible. You may feel like, I can't do that. You know, I I don't have this training that a preacher has. Well, just let me encourage you that there's no special training that needs to happen in order to see God's Word just bud before your eyes. Do you read it prayerfully? Do you read it patiently? And one tool that I want to bring before you is a a study Bible. Do you have a study Bible that you use regularly? If you don't have a study Bible in your home, then you need to get one, and I can help you get one. Because if you have a study Bible, then pretty much everything that we're looking at together, you can see on your own. Because my aim in preaching is not just to stand up here and preach good things to you, but I want to help you know how to read the Bible for yourself. That is one of the main goals as we spend time together. We learn how to read God's Word together. So I just wanted to bring that up and I guess offer some helpful tools for you all as we especially go through a difficult book like Ecclesiastes, where language is so important. So if you would, let's look together and read verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. 
The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you, and oh, I think what a what a privilege it is to be able to open your word before our eyes, to to read through it, to see it, to understand it. Father, there are treasures here that we cannot begin to comprehend. But I pray that you would help us now in these moments. I pray that you would help me as I stand before these people to lead them in your way, in your truth. I think of the passage that Eddie read a moment ago where Jesus is talking about how He is the good shepherd. He truly leads us to the green pastures. He leads us in truth. So Father, help me to emulate that example. Help me to shepherd these people in light of the true shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. May you be with me to speak words of clarity. May they be understandable. And may you be with those who are listening. May you open their ears. May you open their eyes. May your word fall upon our hearts with power this morning. May we see it. May we delight in it. May we savor it. And may we be joyful because of it. And Father, we pray all of these things for Your glory, for the good of Your people. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. What are you toiling for in this life? That is a question that I want us to to ponder this morning. I want you to roll it around in your mind. What are you toiling for in your life? What kind of gain do you seek? Is all your toil aimed at this world? Do you seek the gain that is found under the sun? Picture this in your mind. If someone was to watch your life, the way that you lived, what kind of person would they see? Would they see someone who spends all their time and effort trying to make their life in this world comfortable? Would they see someone who lives and treats this world as their eternal home? Or would they see a person who has heeded the words of the Lord Jesus whenever He said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Would they see a heavenly-minded person seeking the things that are above? Or would they see an earthly-minded person seeking the things that are found under the sun. Now, if you just picture that in your 
mind, that scenario, and you thought to yourself, I think my life looks a lot like the, the worldly person. I spend all my time and effort seeking the things of this world. If that's you, then I want you to let the preacher shake you into reality. If you spend your time and your effort seeking the things that are here, then the preacher means to shake you into reality. He means to shatter all of the empty promises that we tend to believe about lasting gain in this world. He, tends to shatter, he wants to shatter all of them. All of the false beliefs that we like to cling to about lasting gain. He, he seeks to scatter all of them. Now also, if you are a Christian, you are not immune to these words. We need them as well. You need to be reminded again and again of the emptiness of this world. Because how often are we tempted to stray from the past of lasting joy? Every day, right? Every day the world, the flesh, and the devil seek to lead us astray. So let the words pierce your hearts as well. Let them remind you that this world is passing away and that all those who cling to it will pass away along with it. Now, before we move on to verses 3-11, through 11, I want us to take a moment and just recap what we were looking at last week. So last week in our time together, we saw that the preacher, the author of Ecclesiastes, that's what he calls himself, the preacher, he introduced his main theme, the main theme that's going to flow throughout the book which is, all is vanity. That's what he says. Your life and everything in the world is vanity. And we saw that that word doesn't necessarily mean meaningless. He's not trying to say that your life is meaningless or that the things of the world is meaningless, but that they are like a breath. They are short-lived. They are here one moment and then they are gone the next. That's what he means by vanity. And we looked at how again and again the preacher is going to bring this up. He's going to consider a circumstance in life. He's going to consider something that we do in this world and he's going to step back and he's going to bring up to us this is a breath. And the way that he's going to do that is by the question that he asks in verse 3. In verse 3 he says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So again and again, he's going to use this question to bring to our minds that there is, in fact, really no lasting gain here. There is none to have. Now, we looked at that question for a moment last week. We, we talked about it a little bit, but now let's dig into it a little bit further and really just see what the preacher is trying to get at in asking this question. Because in asking this question, it seems like he's prepared for somebody to have an objection to the claim that he has just made. He says all is vanity. And then he is prepared for somebody to disagree with him. I mean, wouldn't you disagree with this man? 
If somebody was to come up to you and say to you, your life is like a breath and everything you enjoy, everything you have in this life, it's here one moment and it's gone the next and there's really no gain in it. You would want an explanation, right? I mean, you wouldn't just be satisfied with him just saying that and then walking away. You'd be like, hey man, give me an explanation. You know, where are you getting this from? Where's your proof? And so that's what he's doing with this question. He's drawing us in. He's drawing us in. He says, okay, you disagree with me? Then let's look together. What gain is there in the world? And by gain, he means not temporary gain, because he knows that there's temporary gain in this world. We gain things in this world. But what he, talk, what he is talking about is lasting gain. That's what he means by gain. And also, you could think of him saying or asking the question of, what profit do you receive? Because the word gain also carries the word profit. He's asking at the end of the day, after all of your toil, what profit do you have? Like the profit that you gain by working. When you do what you're supposed to do and get paid at the end of the week, you receive a paycheck, and that is your profit. You have profited from your work. And so he's saying, what profit do you have in this world? After all of your toil, after all of your, your work, your effort that you expend. And with the word toil, he's not just saying, you know, our occupation. Whenever you think of toil, your, what you do for a living may come into mind. But that's not what he means. He means anywhere in life where you expend energy, where you put forth effort, that's what he's talking about. Because when you seek pleasure, you're toiling for pleasure. Right? So it doesn't matter what part of life it is. He seeks to know what do you gain out of all of your effort that you expend in this life. Now the phrase that he uses next, which is under the sun, that is a, a tricky phrase. What does he mean whenever he says under the sun? Because it seems like he's drawing an imaginary dividing line between what is under the sun and what is above the sun. And there are some that take that phrase to mean that the preacher is somehow separating God's work, His involvement from His creation. That somehow all of the bad and all of the horrible things that we're going to see in the coming chapters is a result of God's uninvolvement in His creation. And that's just not true. Because the preacher knows that God is in fact involved in His creation. Because again and again, as we saw last week, He's going to pause and He's going to say, Everything you have is a gift. God has given it to you as a gift to enjoy. So it's not a man who's trying to separate God and His involvement in His creation. So what does he mean? Well, if you remember in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they sinned against God, God, in a way, removed His presence from the creation and He cursed the world. God is still involved in His creation, but there is a curse of sin that reigns over this present world. 
And so that's what he's referring to. Under the sun, wherever the curse is found, wherever the sin, uh, wherever the, the curse of sin is experienced and it is felt, that's what he means by under the sun. That's the picture that he's trying to paint within our minds. That's what he means by referring to the toil that is done under the sun. So he wants to know at the end of the day, or rather at the end of your life, after all of your effort, after all of your toil in this fallen creation, what do you have to show for it? When you stand before God, what profit do you have to show before God? Because if it's something that is temporary in this world, then it's just going to be forgotten. It's going to be swept away, and you're going to be swept away with it. Now that question sounds a lot like the question that Jesus asked in Luke chapter 9, whenever He says, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So the preacher is asking the same question, the same question that Jesus is asking. If you were to gain everything in this world, you would have no profit because you would have forfeited your soul and you would pass away with the temporary treasures, the temporary profit, the temporary gain that you so strenuously worked for. Now what follows in verses 4 through 11 are some examples that the preacher is going to lay out in proving his point. So verse 4 begins the 12-chapter-long journey of the preacher proving his point. So from here on out, the preacher is going to be answering his own question. Time and time again, we are going to see that the answer is no. There's no lasting gain. There's no profit. And the three examples that he's going to give within these verses are, first, he's going to give the example of human history. And you can see that in verse 4. The second example that he's going to give is the example of creation itself. And that's verses 5 through 7. And then the last example that he's going to give is the example of human experience. And that's verses 8 through 11. So those are the three examples that we are about to walk through and see. And as we go through them, I want you to just notice the language like we were talking about earlier, the language that the preacher chooses to use. Because he could just ask that question and give you a straightforward answer. He could ask the question, what does man gain? And then he could say, it's nothing. And he could go about just giving it to you cut and dry, very plain. But that's not what he does. Instead, he answers the question with images, with pictures, with a, a poetic type of language. And the reason for that is that he doesn't only want you to hear what he's saying, but he wants you to see it. He wants you to feel it. He wants you to, to feel the brokenness of sin, to feel the brokenness of this world that we experience under the sun. And so as we go through these verses, I just want you to feel the... 
trying to think of the right word to use here. Just feel what the, the preacher intends you to feel, which is, I guess you could say, looking out into the world and just feeling an exhaustion. You know, looking out into the world and just maybe saying to yourself, what is the point of all of these things? That's what the preacher wants you to feel, and that's what he's going to say himself in verse 8 whenever we get there. So let's start walking through these examples together. So the first example that he brings up, the example of human history. He says in verse 4, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. We as human beings like to think that the generation that we're a part of is just the best thing ever, right? I mean, our generation has something to offer that no generation in the past has ever offered. Whether you're the generation of baby boomers, maybe you're the generation of Generation X, or you're the generation of the millennials. It doesn't matter. Generation after generation comes into this world and they seek all of these accomplishments to, to gain in this world. But listen to what... to. The, but listen to what the preacher says. He tells you to think again. He says, generation comes, generation goes, but yet the earth remains. So no matter what our generation may accomplish, we're going to leave the world as we found it, broken and full of sin the next generation is going to experience the same things that we experience. And I know in a way that's kind of depressing, right? Because we seek to make the world a better place for the next generation. And that's one of our goals, isn't it? But when you leave, your children are going to experience the same hardships, the same toil, the same brokenness that you have experienced. Generation after generation has come. Generation after generation will go. But yet the earth remains. So in the midst of all of this, there's really no gain. That's, that's the point that the preacher's trying to put across. Generation after generation, coming and going, seeking all of these accomplishments, but really nothing ever happens. The earth remains. So on and on it goes. It just repeats itself, seeming to never really go anywhere. And the example of creation tells us the same. He says, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. He observes the sun. The sun comes up, it rises in the morning, it sits in the evening, it goes down, it hastens, using the language that he uses, it hastens back around, and it does the same thing over and over again. Expending all of this energy. I mean, it, you think about just how massive the sun is and all of the energy that it takes for the world to go around the sun and for it to just rise and to set every day. But the, what's the point? It just does the same thing. It rises, it goes down. It rises, it goes down. And that's what the preacher is saying. Look, this repetition, what's the point of it? You know, what's the, the end goal? He observes the wind. 
The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. Now when we think about the wind, we think, you know, what's more free than the wind? It goes wherever it wants to. It does whatever it pleases. But according to the preacher, what he has observed, it too has its patterns. The wind blows to the north and it comes back around. It blows to the south, it comes back around. And on its patterns, the wind continues. It just goes round and round and does the same thing over and over again. Expending all of this energy, toiling. But for what? It does the same thing over and over again. He observes the streams. He says all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. Think about the mighty Mississippi River. You know, how much water is flowing through that massive river and how much energy. I mean, you think about the power plants, the Hoover Dam that has been construction, has been constructed and harnesses all of this energy that comes from this moving water. But yet, it just does the same thing. It flows to the sea. The sea's not full. Where the streams flow to, there they flow again. Just like an endless pattern. Again, all of this toil, all of this energy, but for what? What is being accomplished here? Creation itself never seems to get anywhere or to gain anything. It just seems to do the same thing over and over again. So as you read through those examples, are you starting to feel the repetitiveness that the preacher is trying to show you? He's trying to show us you think you're going to gain something? Your history proves otherwise. And creation itself proves otherwise. So why do you think you're going to be any different? If you observe creation and see that it doesn't gain anything, it just does the same thing over and over again, why do you think you're going to gain something? That's the picture that the preacher is painting. That's what he's trying to get us to see here. So now he moves on to human experience. But before he moves on to our experience as humans, he gives in verse 8 his own emotions about the matter. It's like he has written all of these things and he cries out, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. So he's looked at these things, he's observed them, and he's feeling just about how we've said here this morning. You know, what's the point? He looks and he's just, man, everything is so full of weariness. You know, expending all of this energy and it's just not doing anything. It's full of weariness. How can a man utter it? How can he understand it? What does he have to say about it? The preacher can feel the brokenness of the curse that is in the world. He can feel the brokenness of sin. Now, as we have just read through those things, you may be thinking to yourself, well, I thought creation was supposed to do those things. I thought it was supposed to be repetitive, right? Isn't that the way God created them to be? Did He create the sun to rise and to set and go around and do its thing? Same with the wind and the waterways? And the answer is yes. God created them to do those things. They are perfectly happy 
to do the same thing over and over again. And we're going to look at that uh, further here in a moment. But I just want to say, the problem is not in those things, as we are about to see. The problem is us. And this goes back to the fall. It goes back to the original sin. Because what was at the core of original sin? Dissatisfaction. Adam and Eve became dissatisfied with God's good creation. You know, the serpent came into the garden and he tempted them. You can be like God. And they said to themselves, that is what we want. We're not happy with what God has given us. We're not happy or content with His Word. So they became discontent with all that was around them. And so God cursed them. He put a curse on this world under the sun. And we suffer from it still today. That is why you are dissatisfied people. That's why I am a dissatisfied person. That's why we look out into the world and say things like what the preacher says, all things are full of weariness. Because in and of ourselves, in our sin, we want something new. As the preacher is about to say, we're seeking something new. We want to break out of the repetitiveness like Adam and Eve. We want something more. But that's not the point. That's not why God created the world. He didn't create the world so that it can gain something. He didn't create you so you could gain something. It's a gift. You remember the motto that we were talking about last week. Life is gift, not gain. Gift, not gain. So now we come to the example of human experience. Now what does the preacher have to say about our experience of humans, as humans? He says, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. You and I are like the insatiable sea. No matter how much you see with your eyes, no matter how much you hear with your ears, it's never enough. We're always grasping for more. Give me more. Give me more. I mean, this is plain as day in our age. With technology, with TV, with cell phones, with whatever tech that we've come up with and invented for ourselves. I mean, we have so much just right in our face. And we're still not satisfied. We want more. Now, I don't mean to harp on those things because in and of themselves, they're good things and they're useful. But we as human beings are discontent people and we seek for more like Adam and Eve did in the beginning. Our eyes are not satisfied with seeing nor our ears filled with hearing. No matter how much we acquire in this life, we still want more. The next thing that he says What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. And then again, he it's like he's anticipating somebody to say, yeah, there's something new. I mean, there's all kind of new things. But what does he say? He says, is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. He 
smacks that claim right back to the ground where it belongs because it's not true. I mean, yeah, there's new inventions, but that's not what he's talking about. I mean, think about who this author is. This is King Solomon we're talking about. I mean, how many new new things, putting that in quotations, how many new things that he built? How many things did he do that nobody had ever seen before? I mean, read about his story in 1 Kings and in 2 Chronicles. Read about the temple of God that this man, with the help of the Lord, of course, constructed. This was like a building of no comparison. Nobody had seen a building quite like the temple of Solomon that he had constructed, or his palace, or the wisdom that he had. So these things are new, are they? Are they not new? Are they not new inventions? New things that we have come up with or created? In a way, yes, they are. But what he means is that there's nothing new that can break the cycle of new things becoming old very quickly. Now what I mean by that is again our dissatisfaction. Think about it. The moment you get a new thing, how long does it take before that new thing becomes an old thing? And you are once again dissatisfied. And you are again searching for another new thing. You know, that new truck or new car or new toy, new possession only stays new for so long. I think a prime example of that is, think of a kid on Christmas morning. They've asked all year for a present. It's under the tree. They open it. They spend five minutes with it, and then it's over with. They're looking for something else. They've become dissatisfied. You know, they're wanting something new. So there's nothing new under the sun that can break this cycle. The cycle of discontentment. That's what the preacher means. He's not talking about just new inventions. In David Gibson's book, Living Living Life Backward, the one that I showed you guys last week, in his chapter on these passages, he names it, Let's Pretend. I think it's well named. He calls the chapter, Let's Pretend. And what he's talking about in that chapter is how we as adults like to pretend that these things aren't true. We like to pretend that the world is not repetitive and that we can step outside of it, that we can go against the current. We like to pretend that this world is permanent. We like to pretend that our lives are permanent, and our possessions are permanent, and the joy that we have in them are permanent. We pretend in all of those ways. But the author of Ecclesiastes, like we were talking about earlier, means to shake you into reality. He's saying, stop pretending. Because one day, you're going to be slapped in the face with it. If you don't see it now, you're going to come to the end of your life when you stand before God, and you're going to realize just how fleeting, how futile, just how much vanity you actually did seek in this world. The last thing that he says in verse 11, There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. 
again, this preacher has an eternity mindset. He's not talking about people are going to be forgotten throughout history, which that is true. I mean, how many percentage of people are not remembered? There's only a few in history that are written down in the history books. So it's more than likely that your life is not going to be remembered when you're dead and gone. And I, that's, again, that's kind of depressing when you think about it. You're going to die and somebody's just going to not know who you are. I mean, I think about how many of my grandparents or great-grandparents asked, do you remember who they No, I don't remember who they are. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful, but I just you forget. They've passed into history. And you forget about them. And so in a way that's true, that you're going to be forgotten. But what about these people throughout history who have been remembered? How, how do, does that disprove the argument that the preacher is giving here? No. Because remember, he's talking about in light of eternity. And in light of eternity, it doesn't matter who you are or how great of accomplishments you've accomplished in this life. They're going to be forgotten. You're going to be forgotten. They're all going to fall to the ground. In the light of eternity, all of us, all of your works, all of your accomplishments, all of your possessions, everything into this temporal world, in this broken and sinful world, is going to be forgotten. Now, what about the Christian perspective of these verses. How are we as Christians in light of the cross? How are we to view these verses that we just looked at? There are some who take these verses to mean, kind of like we were talking about earlier. They take these verses and the preacher to mean that he's describing life without Christ. And in a way that's true, but at the same time it's not. Because you as a Christian live in the same world that the non-Christian lives in. You experience the same things that the non-Christian experiences. But in Christ, you are able to see them with a heavenly mind. You are able to look beyond under the sun to above the sun. You are able to see these things in light of Christ. Now what does that look like? In Psalm 19, in the first part of Psalm 19, David rejoices in creation. And he says of the sun that every morning when it rises, it's like it's a bridegroom coming out of his chamber with joy. Every time the sun comes over the horizon, it's like he's singing hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let my heat, let my light fill the earth once again because the glory of the Lord is being seen. So how can David have that perspective in a world that's filled with such brokenness? And that's because David was given a heavenly perspective. He is able to, by the Spirit of God, see the glory of God still shining through even in a broken creation. And we are to be doing the same. When you become a new creation, when Christ saves you, you become a new creation. New creation. 
And you are able to see the things of this world as they are meant to be seen. Yes, they are temporary. Yes, they are passing away. But you are able to look to what is coming. You are able to hold loosely to the things of this world. You are able to see the glory of God in this world, but yet at the same time, seek what is coming. Seek what is above. You have a heavenly mind. This is why Christ came, brothers and sisters. The brokenness that we are looking at in these verses. He came to redeem those things. He came to redeem that that cry that the preacher has in verse 8. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. Well, Christ came and He is now in the process of making all things new. Creation, yes, it groans. It groans to see the sons of God become adopted as the sons of God that they are supposed to be being made into the image of Jesus. He came to redeem these things. And also, the last verse in uh, verse 11, what the preacher says about everything being forgotten, when the person works for worldly things, yes, they're all going to be forgotten. But what about the things that are done in the name of Jesus for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven? Not one of those things will be forgotten. Not even a cup of cold water that is given to somebody in the name of Jesus Christ will be forgotten. The smallest of things done in the name of Jesus will be remembered. They will not be forgotten. So as we come to the end of this section and we see the brokenness and the reality of sin, remember who you are in Christ and the heavenly perspective that we have been given. So do you see things in light of that? In light of the gospel? Is that how you look at the world? Or do you look at the world in the way that the preacher is describing it here and now in these verses? Where are you storing up your treasures? Is it in this world or in the kingdom of God? Heed the words of the preacher that it's all passing away. And also heed the words of the Lord Jesus whenever He said, what does it profit a man if he gains the world and forfeits his soul in the process? You're going to lose it. So turn to Christ and cling to Him. Cling to the things, to the treasure that will not rust, that will not spoil, that will not pass away. When you seek Christ... There is a gain to be found in Him that you could not begin to comprehend. Seek Christ and find everlasting gain in His presence, in the kingdom of God which is coming when all things are made new. Father, we come before You and we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the language that is used here, that the preacher chooses to use. Creating within our minds this this vivid picture of the brokenness of the reality of sin. Father, in the midst of all of these things, in the midst of seeing the broken reality of sin, I pray that we would all be reminded of the hope that we have in Christ. That there is gain in Him. 
that though everything we work for in this world will pass away, we come into this world with nothing, we will leave it with nothing, but in Christ we gain Him. And He is worth so much more. He is an incomprehensible treasure. So I pray that we would be seeking His face. I pray that the people that are sitting before me would be seeking His face, that they would be holding loosely to the things of this world. May all of these things be to your glory and to the good of your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.